My name is Ken Roberts, and you are in uh, room 104, and this session is supposed to be um, six steps to building and maintaining unity uh, in the local church. Okay, so if that's where you were supposed to be, you're at the right one. And let me just give you a little bit of a background, a little context. It's always kind of helpful to know who's talking to you and why they're talking to you. Uh, I grew up in the Assemblies of God denomination, and my dad uh, was the Assemblies of God's pastor, so I grew up in a pastor's home. He pastored mainly in the Tennessee district, so I grew up in West Tennessee and was there for most of my uh, shaping times of life. And then I went to Central Bible College in uh, actually in the late 70s and graduated from CBC, Central Bible College. And then I've, uh, I've only pastored two churches over about 33, 35 years. And one of those churches was in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, it was not an Assemblies of God church. It was a non-denominational church. But I knew a lot of the assemblies uh, folks there, and Dave Willie was one of my colleagues and friends. So I was at the same church for 25 years, and I was on uh, part of the team there for five years, and I, I was the senior pastor there for 20 years. And the name of the church at that time was called North Coast Community Church over in Middlebrook Heights, uh, over by the airport. And then, and then I uh, pastored in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was there for eight years, uh, and it got a little too cold, and so I moved back. So my... This is my uh, wife, Missy, right here. Missy, say hello. This is my daughter, Nicole. Nicole lives here in Columbus, so she came to step in to hear her dad do a session today. So, uh, so I, I, love, I love the local church. Uh, since I transitioned back to Cleveland, we, we moved back to Cleveland in July of um, last year. And we really moved back for a couple different reasons. One is I had my first grandson. And so my, my son uh, and his wife, they live in Lakewood, Ohio. And so, you know, you got to come home to your grandkids. So he just turned 11 months old. So we came back for that. And also I came back as a time to kind of for me to reshift and focus. I've been a pastor, like I said, for almost 35 years and to kind of move into some. I just turned 60. I turned 60 in, in uh, November of uh, really what I want to do in uh, the next 10 to 15 years of my life, my ministry life. And there's my sweet spot. And really what I feel my sweet spots are what, over what God's done in my life over the last you know, several years is really is to help individuals in their own uh, spiritual growth and the whole area of discipleship. How's it we, how, how do we do this whole thing of becoming like Jesus? I've had the chance to help churches kind of think through that as well, the whole process. Are we making disciples? How do we do that? The church has changed. Our culture has changed. What are we producing? Those type of things. So I enjoy working with you know, leaders. Uh, the second thing I've been doing is really has been helping people, I, what I call, from a biblical worldview, people finding their sweet spot, living out of a life of fruitfulness, a life of faithfulness according to what God's, how he's designed them, what he's called, called them to do. And I just loved helping people find their, you know, their, uh, their focus in life and really to, to be going for it. So I've been doing that. And then the third thing I've been had the chance to do is really to work with Christian leaders. So I, uh, I work with Christian leaders a lot, and my whole idea there is to help Christian leaders, I call it, come in, it's all right. I call it this way, help Christian leaders live well while they lead well. And you're probably aware that the dropout rate, fallout rate, burnout rate among Christian leaders in the West is at an all-time high, and it's really increasing every year. So it's the idea of how do we do this journey, you know, as leaders within the church, and do it in a way that we are becoming, we are continuing to be healthy. The stats are, and the stats are kind of sad, it says that uh, the stats are the longer that a Christian leader goes in the leadership in the church world, the more unhealthy they become. Just, again, disappointments, difficulties, uh, you know, betrayals, relational rifts, 
all those type of things. So to remain healthy as a leader is a very, very challenging thing. But we all know as the leader goes, usually so goes the, the church as well. So I've had the chance to be working kind of in that area. And I, that's what I kind of give myself to. So uh, today I want to talk to you about um, really six steps uh, to building and maintaining unity in the local church. And you, I have an outline. I'm going to go through the outline. And what I'm going to try to do is watch the time. Because I'd like for this to be a little bit more of a workshop, a little bit more of a maybe some some conversation than just me only just talking to you. But I have a lot of information uh, really in the outline that I think will be helpful. So I'm going to get through a lot of it quite a bit, and then we're going to open up for some uh, really some for some dynamics regarding how to build and maintain unity in the local church. Now, a lot of this material from me is from my own experience. I mean, I read a lot, and I you know I talk to a lot of colleagues. Uh, some of this material is from things that I think over the years that I maybe have done well, and some of the things that I've learned, you know, that I didn't do so well that I learned from the negative side of it. But I do think this will help leaders. How many of you are involved in either direct senior leadership or you're involved in uh, on the leadership community or the, the elders or the deacons, but you have an influential role in the, in the vision of the church, in the, in the direction church, Okay. This, I think, can help you a lot. All right, so let's, let's jump into it. Let me give you the first one. So I'm going to give you six steps, okay? Some of this you will have heard. Some of this you maybe haven't heard. Come in. It's all right. And some of this maybe you have never heard in sequence, you know, where you've never heard it to actually all together. Let me grab you an outline. And just enjoy your sandwich while we're teaching. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Let me give you the first one. So again, some of this you've heard and would maybe have heard at different times, but in a, uh, you know, in a, in a sequence like this and maybe tied together will help you. Number one, step number one in really to build and maintain unity in the local church is know where you are going. That's obviously the area of vision. And knowing, and knowing how you plan on getting there. That's the idea of strategy. Now, I just came from uh, John, is it must grave Musgrave's session on re-envisioning, uh, reigniting vision. It did an outstanding job regarding vision and value. So I know that you've, in this district, have had some really good training there as well. But I say the first area regarding uh, really uh, building and maintaining you know, unity is having a clear idea where you're going. Now, we've, there's a lot of conversations about the church and the church over the many, you know, last 20, 30 years. A lot of stuff on leadership, a lot of stuff on vision, a lot of stuff on vision casting. So, you know, a lot of this isn't new. But what I find, what I find in my own leadership and what I find that I'm now having the chance to go into to a lot of churches and actually to work with their senior leaders and then their leadership core and, you know, kind of, kind of talk about one of these things is we know some of the idea of, the idea of vision, but the reality of really having clear vision of knowing where we're going is number one. That's vision. But not only we're knowing where we're going, is how we're going to get there. And that's the idea of strategy. A lot of churches have really moved into obviously vision. You know, we want to love God, love people, love our community, whatever it would be. There's a lot of, you know, great vision slogans are out there. But it's one thing to cast the vision. It's another thing to have a strategic ideas or plans or how you're going to move into those. And I find that we frustrate people a lot if we really uh, declare a vision. You know, this is our vision. But we really don't have any practical ways or any wise ways or any sequential ways in which we're going to move into that. Casting vision without strategy actually, I think, is a boomerang effect. People say, you said you're going to do this. We aren't doing anything. How are we going to do it? Okay, we're going to you know, win our city or we're going to do this or we're going to grow in this area. We're going to grow in fam- developing families. So the idea of how we're doing it. So if, on the right, if you want to write this down, just by that little phrase there, this is the area of defining your why. 
your why is a, is a local church. Now, here's what I believe. I believe every local church has a DNA that's born of God. Every local church that's born of God has something that God has given that church, I think, in a very specific way to do. Obviously, there's very general things for the church to do based upon the Word of God and, you know, what, how God defines the church. But also, I think every church has a specific DNA. Or another way to say it, I think every church has a, their own spiritual well. Sometimes you can see that in the history of a church. Sometimes you can see that in the strengths uh, where uh, a church builds their momentum. And what I've realized and what I did in a church in, in Cleveland that I uh, learned in a negative way from is you don't want to get away from what your DNA is in, your, in, in the well that God's given you. And I'm going to kind of sh- show you just a moment of how you can kind of figure that out. So first of all, the first step is knowing where you want to go. And number two, knowing how you plan on getting there. So that's vision and strategy. Then let me give you the definition of vision. You've heard this in other places. This originally came from, I think, Willow Creek, Bill Hybels, many, many years ago. But it's still a great definition of vision. So if you don't have a definition, here's a good one. Vision is a picture of a preferable future that produces passion. Okay? Vision is a picture of a preferable future that produces passion. So a lot of times with vision, we haven't reached it yet. It's that idea on the wall. We're leaning into it. That's where I want to go. That's who we want to uh, become. That's what we want to accomplish. But we have an idea that vision is a picture of a preferable future that produces passion. Okay, look at the Helen Keller quote. I love this quote. She said, once she once said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Okay, so... If, you, if your local church don't have a vision, you have a vision. And your vision is to not have a vision. So everybody has a vision, whether it's stated or not, whether it's on your logo, whether you put it on the, on the screens, whether it's on a banner, whether it's on your website. You know, everybody has a vision. So it's the idea of where we want to go. We all know the scripture, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. And if I had a little bit more time in some of the sessions I do on this, I would uh, open this up a little bit more. But the, the whole idea where there is no vision and my understanding of that in the Hebrew is it's the idea of ongoing revelation. Where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. Now, you can flip that verse around as well and say where people have an idea of where they're going, we will row together. Okay? So it's important, the understanding of having vision. Henry Blackaby, uh, who wrote the book, many of you may be aware, Experiencing God many years ago. But he and his son also wrote a book on spiritual leadership. And in that book was one of the best definitions on spiritual leadership I'd ever heard. And here's what he said. Henry Blackaby, he calls spiritual leadership moving God's people onto God's agenda. All right? So that assumes something, though. That assumes that we know what God's up to with us and in our local congregation and trying to move them in that direction. So the idea of being a spiritual leader is moving God's people onto God's agenda. Okay, next little section there. Let's talk about vision for just a little bit. I'm going to run through this uh, again fast. Where in the local church do we get vision? Now, this is a very important you know, question to ask and to answer. Where do you get vision? Where have you gotten your current vision? Did you inherit it? Did you get it at a conference that you went to? Did you get it from a church that's really, you know, doing great? So we think we'll, we'll borrow that. Where does vision often comes to, come to in a local church? Let me give you about five or things to think about there. Number one, Vision in a local church, where do we get it? Number one, we get it from God because he is the head of the church, okay? 
So we all would say theologically that we, would, we believe that God's ahead of the church, but how we operate in leading the church you know, will prove whether we really believe that statement's true or not. So it's the idea, there's nothing super spiritual about this point, it's the idea of continuing to know that he's the one that's the head of the church. He gives responsibility, stewardship to you know, under-shepherds, men and women who lead, but ultimately we're continuing to look to him. What is God saying? What is, do, what is he doing? What is he speaking? God, where are you wanting to go? God, what are you doing in our midst? God, what do you want to create? God, what do you want to stop? So there's this ongoing dependency upon God and really looking to him as the head of the church. So God being the head of the church, number one. Number two, we get, local, we get church, uh, vision local church from his word, which is very clear about what the church and his disciples should be about. So one of the things, you know, in today's world that we're obviously is the church is going through a lot of changes. And the culture in which we're, you know, uh, serving is going through a lot of changes. And lots of times you hear stuff uh, regarding vision in the local church that has more to do with style, you know, methods, preferences right now, than you actually have to do with the idea of uh, substance. And so I think one of the things we need to kind of come back to is we need to have the first have the conversation Based upon what the word says, you know, how does the word define what the church should be about? Now, there's a lot of different ways for that to be expressed, and I, I affirm all those different ways. So I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily methods and style, but a healthy conversation, having a healthy ecclesiology. We need to come back to the understanding of what is the Bible, what's the theology regarding the church, then how do we flesh that out in the area that we're at, the gifts that God's given us, the culture that we work in, you know, the city that we're in, etc. Let me get to number three. Third area where vision comes from is from the gift mix and passions of the lead pastor and the leadership or the pastoral team. And that's just a reality. If you've been placed in a local congregation, every senior leader has certain, you know, gift mix. And that's one of the things I often ask the senior leader is, you know, do they know what their three or four top, you know, gift mix are? You know, uh, I can use an illustration of somebody that I, I mean, I know that's in the room was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dr. David Welly, you know, when he was uh, pastoring, one of his main gifts is, is teaching. Okay. So guess how the church that he was pastoring on the east side of Cleveland, how that would be represented. Someone who's, uh, you know, who's someone who maybe came out of worship and their their hearts for revival or they're revivalists. That's going to spill over. Somebody who's an evangelist. You know, every time they speak, they're going to give an altar call, you know, and 10 people are going to get saved. So, you know, some people are, are builders. Some people are, are gatherers. So the gift mix of the senior leader has a hot lot to do with where the vision of a local church will come from. And the best ways of making transition is when those match up. The church's history matches up with this value and vision with who they bring in. I don't know what the stats are today. You may know, but I know it used to be that a pastor only, a pastor moved about every three and a half years. So I don't know if that's still the case or not, but that was the average, that was the national average. So when you think about that, what would you would have is you'd have, here's the vision, uh, here we go. Okay, new, new guy, you know, person comes in, here's the vision, here we go. So the understanding of really who we are, our gift mix spills over and will have an effect upon the church. So it's God who's the head of the church. God, what's your vision for us? What are you saying? What do you want us to do? What are you oiling? What are you giving grace for? What does the word say about what we should be doing? What should the church be looking like? Three, the the gift mix of passion of the leader and the leadership team. Number four is from recognizing who God has brought to your local congregation there 
and or who God is bringing to the congregation and recognize what he's doing among us. Now, John, the session I was just in, just did an excellent job on this. But one of the things that I found is sometimes you begin to realize the vision of the church that you're a part of, you're leading by recognizing who God has brought to you. Let me give you two real quick illustrations. When I was in Cleveland, and the church was called North Coast Community Church at the time, and it was, it was born, and it was started in the 80s, and it kind of came out of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal Law that was happening in the Cleveland area at the time. And we started, in a, we started in an elementary school, you know, the cafeteria and the whole bit. You know, we did all that type of stuff. But what we begin to realize is that God started to bring to us a lot of really skillful and anointed artists. Now, that was before arts was big in the church. And now it's very big in the church. You know, that's really kind of part of it. But that, we didn't start that way, and we didn't hang that banner out. Like, you know, we're going to be the arts church and really kind of come and be with us. We want to, we want to be cutting edge that way. But what happened, I was, I was a senior leader at the time, about five years into this, as I began to realize, God's bringing certain people to our church that we're not raising, you know, we're not saying come because of this. And I begin to ask the question, okay, God, you're up to something because of who you're bringing and recognizing who he's bringing. And we, we did become known in the west side of town, you know, as a church that, you know, really used the arts and did the arts in, a, in an excellent way. We were known as worship, you know, a place of, of worship and the presence of the Lord. But that wasn't simply only our vision. We said, here's the vision you come. It was also a reverse around. We begin to do these things and then God began to bring certain people. We begin to ask, why is this happening? When I was in Minnesota, another example of this, when I was in Minnesota, I got there. It was a, church, it was a turnaround situation, a church that had grown fairly large, and the, the pastor had gotten into moral failure, and it had splintered and gone every direction. So when I, when I got there, it was kind of in that, in that state. And I was there for only for you know, a short while, a year or so, and what I began to realize is God began to start bringing all these great teachers and leaders to the church. Many people who had pastored in other areas that, you know, they weren't retired. They were simply had kind of checked out. They were now coming back. And I began to realize that God was really up to something. This is no, no stretch, you know, that we had four, five, six people who could easily teach and lead with me not around. And we wouldn't have lost, you know, a beat. So I began to realize God was up to something. And what he was up to for us, with us was some fast growth. And we were able to do some campuses. But the only reason we were able to do campuses is because I began to recognize God was already bringing the leaders. He was up to something. You tracking with me? So watching and recognizing who God is bringing may be an indication of a well DNA, part of the vision of what God wants to give you as a local church. And then to give you the last one. And the last one, we've heard many a lot over the years, but from recognizing areas of legitimate need and then within the body, the church that you or the community that you serve, and then responding to those needs. So, you know, marketing used to be, you know, find the need and fill it. And I think that's still a good thing. But as you'll notice, I put it the last on the list, not the first. Others might do that. So this is not a, it's something to battle about. But I would say that I put these in the list, which I think should be the list of the priority. God, this is your church. We're under shepherds. We believe you're the head of the church. We're looking to you, you know, to lead us. Ecclesiology, have a healthy understanding of what the Bible teaches about the church. The gift mix of who God brings there, that's going to naturally flow out of them. Recognizing the people that God's brought and what he may be up to. And then really recognizing legit needs in the, in the church there, in the community, and really serving those as well. Okay, top of page two or whatever I think is yours. Is, let's hit the next. Why is vision important in the local church? I meant to really, really run. Let me give you four reasons there real quick. Number one, vision describes where you hope or intend to go and who you hope or intend to become. 
vision in your local church describes where you hope or intend to go and who you hope and intend to become. Okay? And here's the thing that I, th- I find is very, very good, uh, excellent about vision. When you know what God's called you to and to your local church to, it keeps you from competing and com- from comparison. Okay? My, my gift mix, and this would have been in the church in, in Cleveland that came out and the church in Minneapolis, you know, my gift mix has been mainly a, a shepherd teacher who is focused on, you know, spiritual growth and maturity, discipleship. My, my pastoral mantra has been Galatians 4.19. It's 4.19, I believe it is, where Paul says, you know, as a woman labors in, in childbirth, so I labor, in, you know, with you until Christ is formed in you. So my whole vision, who I am, what God, how he's made me over the years, mine has been to raise up, you know, spiritual maturity. So that's, a, that's been a strength that that's realized that's the, what I play on the wall. That's our call. That's our gift. But I don't try to compete with people who are, you know, extremely evangelistic. Matter of fact, I could beat myself up if I did that a lot. Because I can give an altar call, and you know, and I gave a great sermon, and it really turned came together, and I created, you know, that was a great conclusion, and that was a great story, and how many raise your hands, you know, and uh. <laughs> I have a brother-in-law that you wouldn't think he was evangelistic. I mean, by his, just by his personality, and he can teach on anything. He can teach on tithing, and at the end, give an altar call, and he'll he'll see ten people come to the Lord. Okay. So again, it's, it's the whole idea of what God is doing in you, what he's given you to do, and that will help you to not compete. So I can applaud others around the city that are doing awesome things and recognizing they have a certain DNA and a certain part to play, but I'm not trying to compete with them because I know what God's given me to do. I know what the vision he has given us to do. Now everybody knows this, but let me just say it. No church can be everything to everyone. So if you're going to build and maintain unity and you start uh, promoting that you are going to do everything for everyone, you know, you're looking for a train wreck, okay? So knowing where you're going and how you're going to get there is extremely important. And I would say it's the first block. It's the first step, you know, the six. Let me give the rest of them. Number two, or the second point about why vision in the local church is important. Number two, it defines expectations. And if you want to write it to the site, if you don't define them, everyone else will. Okay, I'm working with, uh, coaching a, a leader uh, in, in Iowa, and uh, this leader is new to this church uh, and uh, fairly new to leading. They've been involved in ministry a lot, but need, and one of the things that this person is uh, finding out is there's no defined expectations. So she's walked into something. She doesn't have a job description. She doesn't really know what the board expects, how often she's supposed to be at the office or not where they want to go. So she's kind of in this vacuum right now. One of the things I've you know, coached her is one of the first, first things you need to do between you and the board is start having conversations regarding expectations. Who are we? Where are we going? Where's, where's our strengths? Where's our weaknesses? What's my role? Because if not, you're then, you know, you're fighting with a ghost. You just have no idea. What am I, and, you know, so defining expectations, if we don't, everyone else will. Number, number three, it unif- unifies efforts and effectiveness. Extremely important. I was uh, up in the Boundary Waters with some guys several years ago. And, you know, Boundary Waters, they, they take you in and you have canoes to get from one place to the next. And it's a great experience. And there was 10 of us. And, you know, when we got into canoes, we'd have to go to the next campsite. And uh, to go to the next campsite, you had to use the map and the whole bit and go across these lakes. And there's nobody there. You know, you didn't hardly see anybody there. For We were there for uh, 
uh, four or five days. I think we saw two other people. But what we find is when we were in the canoes, if we were aligned, my brother was with me. He was older. He came on the trip. And so he was in the front and I was in the back. And what we found is, you know, if we didn't row together, it took us three times longer to get across the lake. We had some guys who were in a canoe of three, and they were all trained canoers. And you could just tell they were like, and we were. Okay? That's what happens at a local church if you don't have clear vision. But when you have clear vision, then it unifies your efforts and your effectiveness. Now, there's other things you have to deal with. This isn't a remedy for everything, which we'll get to, but you have to start from that angle as well. Number four, it defines what to measure and what to celebrate. So vision is extremely important. And again, there's been a lot of conversations about vision, so this isn't a new thing. But knowing the clarity of who you are, what you're trying to, to do, what's your goal on the wall, what are you rolling toward, and then the communication of it. But we don't have time to get into areas of communication. Let me give you the step, second step. The second step in building and maintaining unity in the local church, as I have found, is be intentional about establishing the kind of culture you want. Now, there has been more conversation lately because uh, borrowed from the business world to be brought into the church world on this, which I think is a good thing. Another thing you could say for culture, you could say values. And again, John, the session I went to talked about this was excellent. But, you know, it's just the whole idea of values. Okay, uh, let me give you this. I describe culture, this is the first bullet out of that, as the greenhouse effect. Okay, so when you think about culture, because sometimes culture is hard to define, and it's hard to distinguish between what vision is and what culture is. So there's a lot of conversation about vision and more conversation about culture, but it's still kind of hard to define what culture is and how we do it. So culture, I call it the greenhouse effect. It's the environment you set and the seed you sow that determine the kind of fruit you will eventually get. If you want a biblical, you know, scripture, you could put Galatians uh, 6, 7. You know, you basically, you reap what you sow. And, of course, he's, he's talking about that in the area of, of the spirit and the natural as well. But it's the same true thing is true in the, in, the, in the church world. So I describe as the greenhouse effect. Take a look at this. You don't have to write this down. But cotton needs heat. Cranberries need water. Mushrooms need darkness. Corn needs sunshine. Plant an apple seed, you'll get an apple tree. Plant a watermelon seed, you'll get a watermelon patch. I mean, it's the same, very same principle. But somehow in the local church, we don't think about it that much. Okay? So developing and establishing the kind of culture that you want is extremely important to building and maintaining unity. Let me give you a second little bulletin, and then we'll talk about culture just a little bit more. Culture wins out over vision and strategy every time. I would underline that exclamation point. I see so many leaders or churches, you know, they get a great vision and start to declare it, but they're not quite as aware on their culture. So culture wins out over vision and strategy every time. What we do and how we do things always trumps what we say we are going to do or how we say we are going to go about doing it. All right? Let me give you two, uh, two quick examples. And I can't give you too many examples because of our time, but two quick examples. As I was, I was speaking in a church, this was in Tennessee, it was the Assemblies of God Church, a fairly large Assemblies of God Church. That I was, my brother lived in that area, and so I was there for a week. And I knew the pastor, and he was going to be out of town. He was on a missions trip, and he asked me if I would uh, 
speak on Wednesday night when he was gone. He asked me if I would do the seniors uh, Bible study on Tuesday morning or Thursday morning, whatever it was. Then he asked me if I would do the Sunday meeting uh, while he was gone. And he said, when I get back, I'll try to catch lunch with you. So he got back. He got back on Monday or whatever. But here's what happened. When I went to the seniors uh, Bible study and nobody, nobody, I didn't know anybody there. The youth pastor was going to introduce me. We, you know, we have a guest today, and you know, pastor's out of town, and he, he's going to do this. And uh, one of the senior citizens just publicly belittled this youth leader in the middle of, there was 50 or 60 seniors, adults there, just right in the middle of just for no reason. I mean, just out of the blue, and she started saying things and whatever and whatever and whatever, you know. So... I get up and do my thing and, you know, do my session. I don't say anything. And I get back and I have uh, lunch with the pastor. And here's what the pastor begins to talk to me about. He begins to talk to me about that he has a lot of division happening in the church and a lot of people saying openly anything they want to say. Okay? Now, what's my point? My point was that I wasn't too surprised because the seed that you allow to grow is what's going to come up. And for some reason, those environments had not been addressed for, I don't know, whatever reason. So that had created a culture that you could say unity all you want. Say unity with you if you would, please. Say unity, please. Okay? You can preach unity all you want. Anybody with me? And you can say the Bible, you know, and get in Ephesians 4 and other places. But if you are allowing seeds to be sown, or you're not sowing the right seeds... Guess what's going to grow up? It's just a natural. It's just a law of the universe. So understanding culture, I think the, the the longer I led and the latter parts of my leading, I began to realize that culture was probably the most important thing that we did. Mm-hmm. Having vision was clear. It was important. Having a strategy to try to get there, but realizing culture. Let me give you one other example. This will be a positive side. I think of the example when I get to Minnesota. And the church there, and after I was there two or three years, you know, and uh, we, we had merged with another church, and a lot of stuff was happening. The church I inherited from, not the guy who had a moral failure, but the church that emerged, merged with us, and he was going to retire. And he was a, uh, he was an, he was a military guy. He was, he'd been a colonel in the Navy before he began to pastor. Great was a great pastor. But there was a very top-down hierarchical system. And we were trying to build on a community relational model. We weren't trying to build on, you know, senior pastor and this and this and this, and we're going to hire and fire you. I'm not taking issue with that. I'm just saying it was a different model. So what happened is I, what I began to realize, here's my point I'm trying to make, about six months, about a year into it, one of the guys who were there who had been there for a long time had some real influence, really felt like he was supposed to, to transition to become a senior pastor. He'd been a children's pastor for many, many years, and we all began to feel the same thing. But what I realized is how we transitioned him would send the message of the culture that we were building as a relational team and not simply a hire and firing hierarchical organizational team. Okay? We could have preached team all we wanted to. Anybody with me? Building community all we wanted to, and we're going to start at the top. We could have, we could have taught on that. It was in our vision. But what had the impact the most is watching what we did and how we did it. That's culture. Okay? So you have to ask the question, you know, establishing the right culture because it will trump vision and strategy every time. Okay, let me give you number three. We've got to move because I want to have some time for some feedback. Okay, number three. Be clear with people on their way in and gracious with people on their way out. Okay, 
Be clear with people on their way in and gracious with people on the way out. Let me give you a, a little analogy, a little story. My kids, Nicole, I have a son, Britton, and when they were to have been, I don't know, 12, 14 at the time, my late wife, my late, my late wife was killed in a car accident. And my late wife, uh, she was Canadian, and uh, we had gone up to Alberta to be with our folks. And we were on vacation, and we uh, just uh, spontaneously decided to send our kids over the mountains to British Columbia to see their cousins. So that was not the plan, vacation plan. We just kind of decided to do it. They wanted to go see their cousins. So we take them down to Alberta. We were in Alberta, Canada. Uh, and we were there. We were going to go over the mountains to British Columbia. And it was about a eight-hour bus trip, if I remember right. So, you know, here's my kids. The first time they've ever done this. They've ever been on a Greyhound bus. They've ever been on their own like this. So what's dad doing? Dad's walking back and forth, checking the sign on the bus. Wanting to make Because there were several buses there that we got them on the right bus. And then they were going to go over the mountains to a place called Shushwap, British Columbia. That's where their cousins lived. So, you know, I didn't want them entering up in Las Vegas and my daughter calling me, hey, Dad, guess what? You know, or, so I wanted to make sure that the bus was on the right place. Now, let me use the same analogy if you've never heard this analogy. The same thing is true for local church. People come and get involved based upon expectations and visions, and they think we're going to British Columbia, and we may be going to Las Vegas. And if those things aren't clear up front, we are heading for difficulty down the road. Let me just say this to you. Many things about unity in the local church could be uh, aborted if we were proactive in building toward unity and not waiting to the... Most people wait until, you know, we're really in trouble. That's why all these steps aren't crisis mode. It's very difficult to to, uh, implement these when you're in a crisis mode already. That's why a good leader stays ahead of them. They're thinking about these things. I want to build and maintain, try to build and maintain unity. So knowing where you're going, being clear with people on their way in and gracious with people on their way out. And the bus, I think, analogy helps with a lot. Okay, a few of those bullets here. If you don't help people understand what you as a church are all about, then you have to manage everyone's expectations. And that never turns out well. No one church can be everything to everyone. Help people be clear on their way into their church through these different ways. And you've seen these, and many of you do those. But, you know, con- consistent vision casting. Someone just asked John in the session on uh, reigniting vision about vision and of how much you should communicate. He said, I don't know how much you're communicating because he didn't know the guy. He said, but I can guarantee you, you need to communicate more than you're communicating. In subtle ways. It doesn't have to be a vision casting meeting every other week, but, you know, here's who we are. Here's where we're going. Let me give you another new members class. If you do that, I think it's one of the, one of the benefits of a new members class. Vision values. Here's how we are. Uh, a yearly recasting vision meeting. Teaching series that reinforce one aspect of your vision. When I was in Minnesota, we had what we called a 4B vision. And we uh, uh, becoming disciples, being in community, building families, being missional. So it's kind of a play on words, a 4B vision. So every, every year, every 12 to 18 months, I would take one of those areas and we would teach into it. What does it mean to become a disciple? How, you know, what's the family like today and how can we build it? In our, so it's taking those areas of being strategic in your, in your teaching. Uh, your leadership development process, those you're mentoring, whatever type of leadership you have as well. Culture, we've already talked about that, creating the culture you want. Uh, and how you're going to do it, and then also to be lead by example. So I think helping people being clear on the way in is really, really, really important uh, so that people know where you're going and they know what you're about, they know what the expectations are, 
And okay, and then let me let me flip that around. The other end of this equation is also true. And I don't think we do well at this in the church world at all. We need to be gracious and make it clear and easy for people who decide that their church or ministry is no longer the right place for them. I don't think we do a very good job in this area in the church. Let's face it. People's seasons of life change, and sometimes the church direction also changes. So I think it's best to periodically stop the bus long enough to let people decide if this is a bus they want to keep riding on or not. If they decide it's not, it's not going, it's not going the direction they want to go, then we need to let people graciously get off and thank them for their contribution they made while being with us. Okay? I think sometimes we do people disservice as we change directions on the bus and never tell people. That's never helpful. Or the other thing is we've kind of created sometimes a culture. Maybe, maybe you haven't. Maybe it's not your experience, but it was my experience. We've kind of created a culture that if a person leaves the church, there's got to be something either wrong with you or something wrong with them. And that in itself is going to sow seeds of suspicion and mistrust. And they were here for a while. They're no longer. He was a more member. I don't even see them around anymore. Now, we all know at times there are situations where you can't publicly talk about. And I'm not saying you publicly celebrate everybody that leaves and said they've been with us. We're glad they're, they're gone. But my point is you can create a culture which understands is this church served them for many years. Their needs have changed. Possibly, and or the bus has changed, you know, the church has changed, and there's not the right matchup, but let's bless and honor them for the 10, 15 years that they were a blessing here in the contribution. Let's be gracious, on the, clear on the way in, and gracious on the way out. Man, I think we can avoid a lot of heartache and a lot of headache and leading if we would really take this principle to heart. Bless and honor people. Not everybody who leaves is bad. And not everybody, every time they leave, they don't always lead for a necessary a bad reason. But we've kind of created a culture that that's the expectation. There's got to be some reason you're no longer here. Well, they're just kind of drifting and backsliding, maybe. Or, you know, he doesn't feed us anymore. Well, you know, we kind of put this adversarial dynamic in instead of saying, no, he was a good brother. Man, their family really helped us. You know what? And we've had this happen. Their kids are now older, and our youth ministry is struggling. And we've tried to be rebuilding it, but right now it's not. And to be honest, if I wasn't a pastor being paid, and my kids were at the age that they were at, I'm not sure I would call this home anymore or not. Now, that's not necessarily, anybody with me, bad? or So we have to really help people clear on the way in, gracious on the way out. Let me give you number four. Establish a consistent communication process and decision-making process. Establish a consistent communication and decision-making progress process. Again, I think this is a major neglect among many Christian leaders. Here's why this is important. Write down these three things at the bottom of your page before you flip it over on page three. If it, if it is, my outline may be different. But let me just write these three things. Here's why this is important. Number one, this builds trust with your leadership and with your congregation. So if you have a defined and consistent communication and decision-making process, and again, a lot of churches and assemblies and others, you know, it's, that's kind of done by, by bylaws or by, we know, but there are certain ways we're supposed to do certain things and we're supposed to do them. But it builds trust with your leadership 
uh, and in your congregation. So when people know, when I went to Minnesota and we had some merging and different stuff that happened there and I was a new guy in town, all that type of stuff, is we established, and it was very clear with all the leaders and the congregation, here's how we will make decisions and here's how we will communicate them. Okay? Here's how we don't want them communicated again. So if you don't accept the expectation and people are talking in the hall, you're the one to blame, not them. Anybody with me? Okay? Because you haven't set a track to help build and maintain unity in your local church. And one of the things that you do, this is by step four, is by helping a communication process. We, we did that. So what, ha- what that did is then if I ever you know, had to get up and say, we've decided to launch a campus or to merge or our, our children's pastor has made a decision, he's going to now go uh, be a, become a senior pa- pastor in a different church down the road or whatever type of thing. People knew that I didn't make that out of a, in a vacuum. That wasn't me doing it. They knew by the time it got to them, it had gone through a process. Builds trust with you as a leader, and it builds trust among you, among the congregation. Let me give flip side of that. I've been working with a church and with a leader who does not have this. And it's a church that at one time was very, very large church, and uh, it's continued to, to decline. And one of the reasons it's continued to decline is because there's no accountability built around the leader, and there's no process of making decisions and communication. So there's not the trust factor regarding what's happening. Okay? Build and maintain unity. It's extremely important that you do that. Let me give you the second reason it's important. Number one, it's a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard for you. You've gone through a process. You've had the input. You know, you've... Uh, had the pushback, you've had, hey, have you thought about this? You've had, I don't really understand that. Maybe we should try this. You know, you've, 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 so it's a good safeguard for you uh, as the leader, especially if you're the point leader. Uh, and then let me give you the third. This is just an example. I heard of one business owner say this, that he probably spends 50% or more of his time on communication in and on his business. The guy I work with was on a team with me, and he's now planted another church in Minneapolis area and he would be in his when he came and started working with me he was in his late 30s uh, yeah mid to, mid to late 30s and he said one of the things that he'd been a uh, youth pastor at other churches and he said but he said one of the things that he learned and that he learned in our process that he learned from me is how important communication is that's written communication that's communication to the right people at the right time that's taking the time for communication Again, you know, you've been involved or maybe you've heard, you know, where somebody makes a decision and three days later they get up in front of the congregation and, hey, guess what? You know, we're going to change the name and everything in the building and that type of thing instead of knowing clearly. Here's what they say. Maybe you've heard this. You may want to write it down. People will usually accept the how if they understand the why. People will usually accept the how the what or the how, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, if they understand the why. If you just get up and say we're changing Sunday school or you know Royal Rangers or whatever type thing, but you haven't given any communication process to the why. We have met with a team for 12 months with families, with the board to discuss why is this not as effective as it was 10 years ago. We've gotten input and ideas from families about what would serve them better. Okay, so you're doing communication that's helping people understand the why. They'll be much more responsive to the 
how you're going to do or what you're going to do because you've spent time in communicating the why. Okay, give it uh, the, the, the diagram where a page that's on for you, but here's the way we've done it. You can, everybody can, needs a way. But it's, for us, it's been senior pastors, elders, deacon, to our leadership team, or our staff, and then to our congregation or spiritual community. So that's just, uh, that's our pro- that was our process of communication and our process of decision making. Now, here's what we also said. Everybody in those circles knew that this was the way that we did it, and so there was an expectation that we would do it this way. Therefore, I could say to our board members, when we're having conversations and discussions about trying to figure something out, is it clearly understood this isn't talked about outside until the communication is made? Then we will move to communication with the team. That's a have that again, the same thing with our team members. We say, you know what, this isn't a conversation for life groups right now. Now, if you don't say that, people don't know. If you have a process, then people are healthy and they realize, okay, they've talked it through as an elders. They're now working it through as the deacon board. They're now getting input from the team, etc. But all I'm saying is, and I'm saying it a little bit long, but I'm saying have a, have a, have a process and have it defined. That would be staff and, for us, it would be staff. And we had a core influential leadership team as well. So that would be staff slash influencers. That's correct. Yep. Okay, and we could come back to that in just a second. Let me give you five, five and six, and then we'll end up. Number, number five, uh, watch for potential seeds of disunity and address these issues early. Again, most of us, myself included, you know, we let things go too long. We, we hope it's going to work out. I don't think we need to address it. Maybe that won't happen. Maybe we'll just pray a little bit more. And, you know, you don't have to do it in a mean spirit. You don't have to be a dictator. It's not that type of thing, but just... Being proactive on, I could give you illustrations, but I don't have times on cultural differences. One of the big cultural differences, I don't want to stir a debate in this class, but you know what I had is the two churches that merged, they had different experiences on drinking wine. Okay? Now I knew when we merged, we were okay, because everybody was, whoa, this is great, we're growing, and look how God's doing, etc. But I knew that was a seed that if it wasn't discussed and somehow hopefully addressed in wisdom, it was going to grow up to, we were going to have difficulty down the road because we had people from all different backgrounds, persuasions, etc., histories. So that's what I'm talking about, those type of things of trying to be ahead of them. Number six, and then we'll take questions. I have a question. Yes. Number three, I mean, under this, yes. consistent Yeah. I thought I had a third one, but it was actually the illustration about... If I had a third one, here's what I would say is, yeah, it was about the business leader who, who said he, he used 50% of his time for communications. I don't think a lot of leaders in the church do this and do this well. Taking time to be, think through communication and be, be that, so that was the third one. Yeah, when I got to it, I realized that it actually was not three. But you are a good note taker. So you, <laughs> let me get to number six. Routinely teaching into the why and the how of unity. Okay, so let me give you a one dramatic illustration to kind of end this, end this point. My late wife and I, when we lived in Cleveland, Ohio, my folks lived in West Tennessee. And so a couple of times a year we would go see my folks. And my dad was passing a church in a little area called Dyer, Tennessee, kind of over more by, by the Memphis area. And uh, we would always go down 71 and... 
go through Columbus and Cincinnati, and then we'd go over to Elizabethtown. And Elizabethtown, then we would always get on the Western Kentucky Parkway. And it goes, it cuts across to Paducah, and then we'd go down that way. And that's how we would always drive to my folks' house. And one time we were there, and the kids were with us, and uh, we, were, we were on the Western Kentucky Parkway going 35 miles an hour. Three dump trucks were in the right-hand side. It was a, Obviously, it's a four-lane. They were in the right-hand side. And uh, the one in the middle, for some reason, decided to come out and try to pass the other ones. And when that one, that dump truck came out, the lady who was in front of me, three or four cars in front of me, she was going 75, 80 miles an hour. She had the passing lane. She was doing it. You know, that dump truck didn't see her. And just as he pulled out to try to pass, she was coming 75 miles an hour. And he, you know, kind of turned right into her. When she did that, all the time she had to do was to turn, and she went off the road into a ditch, hit a tree. No kidding, 75 miles an hour. That's not an exaggeration. She didn't have time to hit the brakes or anything like that at all. Okay? It was so close that the debris hit our car. We got down there and parked, you know, and ran back, and several other people did as well. And here's the thing that was the miracle in more ways than one, is the two kids were in the back seat, she was in the front seat. She had kids about eight or ten, two little two girls, I remember very clearly. But nobody was seriously hurt, believe it or not. But they all had their seatbelts on before the accident occurred. Kind of a dramatic illustration. But you can't get in the, in the middle of conflict and church conflict and then say, let's talk on unity. Too late. People are either already knowing things are going on and the Jones family are thinking about leaving and, you know, he's talking to them when he's speaking now and, okay, we're having this, you know. My point is, teach into it early. We would teach into it to at least every once a year and we would be very clear on how we were going to resolve conflict. It's not in your outline, but I do have an outline for you somewhere uh, that you can get. Yes, here it is. Everything I, I gave you, this is actually in written form in a little ebook that you can uh, get on the way out if you, if you, if you need this in, in addition to what I gave you. But un, under number, uh, the sixth one I just gave you, in this little booklet is what we did to lead people how to resolve conflict and rules of engagement in our local congregation. And we would teach that. I would teach that Sunday mornings. We would do classes on this. And here's the point. So that if the person in our congregation got in conflict, they knew there was a way that we were going to try to process through it. We gave them a track. We had already put the seatbelt on before we were having crisis and then trying to teach into it. Anybody with me on that? So I I didn't have time to put that in this outline or go through it as well. Okay. We got uh, nine minutes. Questions. Oh, me, yay, terrible, don't care. Unity. Let me give you one other thought. Write it down. I, it's not in this outline, but it may help you somewhere. Write it on the front page. Maybe that will help you as well. Many people get, I, I heard a guy who was leading a team meeting that I was in not too long ago talk about unity, but he, he missed a major, he, he was a young guy, but he was doing some good stuff, but he mentioned a major point. There's a major difference between functional unity and spiritual unity. Okay. And functional unity is when you're rowing together, meaning there's good vision, there's good strategy, there's good communication. So that's where functional unity comes in. The staff is doing the right thing. They're in the right alignment. You know, you're doing the right things with the right people at the right time and all that type of stuff. That's what I would call functional unity. And then there's the element of what I would also call spiritual unity. Now, in classic Pentecostal, charismatic circles or whatever, we lump, spirit, we lump unity together 
And we either think that unity has to do around doctrine, where we all believe the same thing, or that we're at a spiritual state and the Holy Spirit's so strong in our midst that we're going to have spiritual unity. Here's what I mean by spiritual unity, the difference. Spiritual unity is that when you are walking through conflict, but you're doing it in a mature spiritual way. David and, David and I can have functional disunity, or we can be having disunity about something, but we can still have spiritual unity in how we go through it. And people and leaders and local churches get that confused all the time. Just because somebody doesn't agree with me and doesn't like the vision and don't think we made the best decision, that has to do more with functional unity. But then the appeal is, in the middle of disunity, this functional unity, let's maintain spiritual unity, and that has to do with Christ-like nature, etc., etc., etc. Yes, a couple questions. I wanted to throw that out, but there's a big difference between the two. Yes. Uh, I noticed in Mark. Uh, I'm somewhat curious. Yes. Um, our staff has been together a long time. Yep. And we're very close. And so oftentimes, both ideas, vision, direction, Yeah, I would say if that's the way it is, it has to do with not only where the ideas are coming from, but where the authority is given to do them. Because a lot of times what we would do would be the very same thing. Our vision, our ideas, our redirection would come through prayer, discussion, material we're reading, knowing areas of weakness. In our t- but we wouldn't have the authority to make the decision we're going to shut down a ministry necessarily. So what I would do with the board or with the elders, I would say as a team we've been talking about starting another campus and here's why here's our three different options and then I would get them involved in the process but you're exactly right the team would have a lot of input in that but the decision making and then the communication process the team couldn't say we're going to launch a campus even if they were a major part of the discussion until the elders and the board had written off on it so that has more to do it's a good question Mark it has more to do with the authority and the implementation, not the ideas or the discussion. Because I, w- I would have been the very, very same thing. Yeah, because so I could easily go to the elders, and I usually did elders and deacons. As a team, we've been talking about this. But that's different than we've made the decision So, or the way it was be communicated. Okay, great. Another question. Five minutes. Just a thought. Yes. Mm-hmm. You were putting the staff, including the associate pastor, with the staff. Is that mm-hmm. We did. Everybody's the, different, but you know. Yeah, that's my question. It almost seems the same, but the elders and the deacons have thought a little bit about the associate pastor. Yeah, I don't know what your church government is. I don't know even what is in your bylaws. It's different with everybody, everybody as well. But I do know usually the authority structure does run senior pastor, elders, deacons. Staff do not have the usually the decisions to make, the authority to make certain decisions. A budget has to be submitted, the use of the building, whatever it would be. You know, Again, sometimes a board will give, you can decide up to 
five thousand bucks for this, and after five thousand bucks, then you need to, we need to sign off on it. So it, it has a lot to do with what your systems and what your structures are. Okay. Good question. Anybody else? What stuck out the most? If you don't have a question, of the six that was the either, you know, the light bulb came on. I've never heard that. It was ding, 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 and that helps me a lot. Versus, you know. I've heard all of it before. It was a rehash. What, what, was, what was different to, for you or helpful for you, Ken? I think what you just said at the very end, that spiritual unity is walking through conflict but in a spiritual way. I, the reason why I came into this class is we're facing something as a church. We're a 10-year-old church. We've been on the same path, vision, everything's great. Oh, sorry. Oh, man, good save. This last election has about killed our church because wow. we've got half our cars have Bernie bumper stickers, right. the other have Trump bumper stickers, right. and, and and in the church we've just t- taken a tactic. We want to kind of leave people guessing, right? And but what happens is on social media, right? They see someone that they love in the church, and they were in their life group, and then they see them posting this thing on Donald Trump, and how wow. in the world could you ever vote for Donald Trump, and then vice versa? And so I think we've just really struggled in how to communicate to our church, but to say, hey, you know, this this is a conflict that there's there's good I mean, there's good on both both sides, right. but we've got to figure out how we walk through this in a spiritual yeah. way, and not. So that, that's if I were if I were to add an eighth one and the, almost override all of this, if to build and maintain unity in the local church, our vision has to be to produce disciples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a little bit ethereal in ways, but what I mean, if people are on a journey of becoming more like Jesus, they will hand, handle conflict much better because that's the that's the end goal. If we are simply leading cultural Christians that they like our programs, but they're not really changing that much more into the like, then they're going to even more and more debate these type of things because the spiritual aspect and the nature of Christ is almost out of the equation. As long as they don't sin and, you know, as long as they can make it to heaven, they're okay now. So, you know what I mean? So if I, if I was, if there was another bullseye of all six of these, it's got to be the vision of helping people grow in Galatians 5 through the Spirit. The nature of Christ. What does it mean to follow this man, Jesus? Let's talk about the political things, but how about the more important thing? Are we becoming more like Christ as we're on the planet? This conflict is going to help us to do that. You raise the bar on what's important. If we don't do that, it's tough. It's very tough. But that's what I would call spiritual unity. And coaching people through that as we've had to make sometimes decisions that I know people are going to come down to different places. But usually when we reinforce that, if they'd all, in all love Jesus, if they all want to change, if they have the Holy Spirit in them at all, you know, there, there's more of a tendency to walk through it in a, in a much more biblical, proper way. In the back, then we got to... Yes, for sure. Matter of fact, a lot of that, a lot of that would be for in the, more for us would be in the staff and the team is where we get a lot of conversations. And from that, regarding helping to color, to color that as well. That's really, really, and it, that's really, really important. Okay? Can I highlight two things real quick on your way out? Will you allow me to do that? If you want that outline, it's an ebook that has what I just did in writing form. And it has this, the coaching or the, the steps about leading people through how to work through conflict and local church. You can get that on the way out. And uh, 
we didn't do much on resources here because of the uh, just the pace and, and everything, but I do a lot of traveling and stuff. So I only want to recommend one resource. I've written some books, some other stuff, but I don't th- I'm not sure that it's applicable here. I did this packet with some leaders called a Live Better, Lead Better resource packet package. What I did is I did, did uh, 20 to 30 minute interviews with leaders on really important topics that I think are the top uh, essential things on li- li- living better, leading better. And in this one is... Uh, I do one on practical ways for turning churches into disciple-making communities. That's a video. I'm being uh, interviewed on that. I also do this session, Building and Maintaining Union in the Local Church. I, I do one on vision, where do we get it, and why it's important. So if you're interested in this, uh, this topic, I would encourage you to maybe, if you want to do this, pick this up. It has all these in there. There's 12 video short of different leaders, and it has the outlines in it. And uh, this is no no kidding, so not overly hype. I usually sell these in conferences. I do, 147 bucks today and the day only. I know that sounds like a salesman, and it is 47 bucks. So if this topic register with you, and you'd like for your leaders or your leaders' team or whatever, take a look at this uh, on, on your way out. Hey, bless you. Thanks for your time.